0: So Jonah, starting in chapter 3, verse 1, going up to 4, 4. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent, and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they returned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Do you do well to be angry? Let's pray that prayer we pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. How many of you are fans of the Marvel Universe? (laughs) (laughs) Got a couple. Superhero movies are fun, of course, although 40 movies later or whatever it is, you know, they can't all be winners, let's be honest. Um, I like the first few, uh, but personally I lost track. And I was never a comic book guy, so I never even realized that these characters were connected with each other. I didn't realize there was a Marvel Universe Uh So I was, like, legit surprised every time, like, Samuel L. Jackson would show up at the end of these movies, like, tying characters together. I'm like, weird, he was in that other movie we watched. Like, you know. So, given all that, I didn't feel entitled to watch the final Avengers movie, uh, which is just as well, because it wasn't the final movie after all. They just keep making them, and I think they're going to keep milking that cow until Jesus comes back. But, um, anyway, I did see the original Avengers movie back in 2012, And so I know Bruce Banner, the mild-mannered scientist played by Mark Ruffalo, is better known for his alter ego, which is what? Somebody knows. The Hulk, right? Okay. Uh, Bruce Banner, as a great physicist, becomes instead a big, green, humanoid beast who smashes everything, uh, and it's an incredible power, but it's kind of beyond controlling. Uh, it's a dangerous power, because he becomes unpredictable when he's in that form. And how does the mild-mannered scientist, Bruce Banner, become the Hulk? He gets angry. And that's also naturally hard to control, right? But there's a scene near the end of that movie when they're facing the final, like, band guy attack. I don't remember all the details. And Captain America turns to him... The doctor and says Dr. Banner now would be a good time to get angry and what does Dr. Banner say that's my secret captain I'm always angry and then he does his transformation and it's a cool (laughs) thing right it's a good line it's the coolest thing Mark Ruffalo does in the entire film because everything else is CGI anyway but it is a good line Because you suddenly realize that Dr. Banner has this edge to him, right? Uh, He doesn't have to become angry because he's kind of low-key angry all the time. So his Hulk persona is always at his fingertips. He's not so out of control as we thought. And his anger is what makes him powerful. How many of you tend to think of your anger as something that makes you powerful? That sounds silly when we put it that way, but I think it's actually a deep-seated idea in our subconscious. Uh, It's actually, I think it's why we're tempted to yell and break things when we're angry, right? Anger makes us aggressive, and we confuse that with strength. Anger is a powerful motivator, right? So you see bumper stickers, right? If you're not angry, you're not paying attention, right? supposed to motivate us to do something, right? Anger is the primary motive in politics these days. Uh, we make most of our political decisions, it seems, based on what will make the other side more angry. Why? Because we are angry, and we want them to share in that. <clears throat> I'll never forget a quote, and it was by Rush Limbaugh, of all people. He once said that uh, something to the effect that it isn't easy to stay angry. To, to maintain anger on some level requires effort. And that was true, I thought. Anger, in in the sense of true rage, tends to fizzle out, unless we feed it. And that's what many of us do. We feed our anger. That's what we're doing on social media much of the time. We feed our anger with a sense of righteous indignation. We have been wronged in some way, and we need to fight back. Anger only works if we feel like someone did us dirty. Anger is our response to real or perceived wrongs. And since we live in a sinful world, it is not hard to find reasons to be angry, is it? Because we are constantly sinned against. People cut us off in traffic. You watch enough of the nightly news and you get angry about things. Your kids misbehave. Your your spouse screws something up. Your boss treats you badly. The customers are even worse. The IRS exists. Um, (laughs) And so many of us, like Bruce Banner, are low-key angry all the time. We have a short fuse. That's our secret. We are always angry. Yeah, I don't know about all of you, but I get angry. My anger often overlaps with when I'm working. I have a bit of a temper anyway, and this manifests in different ways. I'm often loud when I'm angry. I can yell and growl a lot when I'm really angry. Other times I get quiet. I bury my rage, and then it'll come out in unhealthy ways later. Maybe some of you can relate to this. And of course, anger's not always wrong. There's a place for anger. That's why the Psalms frequently pick up the theme, right? But my only point is that anger, it is a powerful emotion. Uh, it shows up all over the place. I have times when I'm angry and I can't even figure out why. And it's left to Georgia to be the psychiatrist and dig into these things. And sometimes our angry self is our realist self. When we're really angry, we tend to say things that are on our minds that we wouldn't usually say out loud. It removes the filters. Anger is like truth serum. It reveals something about us. We tend to think our anger makes us powerful. And maybe on some level we like to think of ourselves as something like the Hulk. But honestly, we're we're more like Mr. Furious and Mystery Man. I've mentioned that movie before. It's not a very good movie. It's a silly slapstick comedy from 1999. Uh, it's mocking all the other superhero franchises, really. But Ben Stiller's character is Mr. Furious in this movie, and his power is that he gets angry. Uh, but not in a cool way like the Hulk, like nothing happens. He just becomes irrational and erratic and can't fight properly because he's too angry to do anything right. So his anger just makes him look ridiculous. And so with that in mind, we jump back into the story of Jonah today. And once again, (laughs) this has happened numerous times, but if if we could have stopped at the end of chapter three, this would be a happy story, very pleasant, right? But the final chapter gives us this up close seat For an epic meltdown, a temper tantrum by our hero, Jonah gets angry. And you kind of get the impression that he's always angry, but not like the Hulk. He's more like Mr. Furious, more like us. Jonah really is like a petulant child in more ways than one. He runs away, first off, when he's told to do things. I've had kids like that. I was that kid. I don't know who I'm kidding. Um... After his spanking, Jonah does do what he's told, but then he complains about it. He whinges, as the Aussies might say. Sounds like an angsty teenager. He would give any millennial or Gen Z a run for their money. But in his anger, we get a true glimpse of Jonah's heart, and I think, unfortunately, ours. Jonah is always angry, but it's not a secret, and it isn't good. He, he gets angry And God calls him out for it because what makes Jonah angry is very telling. And it should be convicting for us as well. Now, like I said, we we ended chapter 3 before Easter, and that was sort of a high note. Jonah had finally obeyed God. He had finally gone to Nineveh, right? And he was half-hearted about it. Uh, Actually, that's stating it generously. Um, Everything about Jonah's visit to Nineveh uh, basically indicates how much he hated it. He, he brought a message of coming destruction, which was fitting, that's what he was supposed to do, but he offered the Ninevites no way out of it. Uh, he preached only judgment, no mercy. I, I thought of the quote H.L. Mencken once said, that democracy is the theory that the common people know what they want and deserve to get it good and hard. Uh, that's kind of Jonah's approach to Nineveh. You guys have been asking for it, and it's coming. 40 days, and you're all going to get it good and hard. And to emphasize the point, we saw that Jonah went only a day's journey into the city, as we're also told that the city is three days' journey across. So he puts in the minimum effort. He's not winsome about it. In fact, he goes out of his way to be the opposite of that. He does not want to preach to these people. He has very little time for them. And yet, contrary to all logical expectations, the people of Nineveh repent. Somehow, through Jonah's uncharitable, unloving words, they hear the voice of God. And they believe God. And a revival begins. And it starts as a popular movement, but soon even the king is on board with his nobles. Every man, woman, and child is in sackcloth. The animals, too, right? And they're fasting, and they're crying out to God for mercy. And upon seeing this, verse 10 gives us a glimpse of the gospel. It's so good When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. That would be a beautiful place to stop the story. But Jonah just can't leave well enough alone, can he? But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. I've heard pastors point out that one of the most beautiful phrases in Scripture is, But God. Right? It is a great phrase. Uh, Good things tend to happen after the but God, right? However, but Jonah doesn't have the same ring to it. God just relented of destroying an entire city, the largest in the world at the time, you think. There should not be a but after that sentence. And yet, Jonah is angry. He's always angry. But the text actually emphasizes that this was no mere irritation. Jonah was exceedingly displeased, according to the ESV. But if you read the footnotes, it's even worse than that. The Hebrew phrase here is that it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. That's a heck of a take. I seem to vaguely remember some sort of scripture somewhere warning about calling what is good evil. And I'm also thinking that it is generally a good... Basic principle for God's people, not to look at what God is doing and call it evil. It just doesn't seem like a good move to me. But here's Jonah, looking at God's mercy, and it makes him sick. He is angry. He is angry at the lack of a disaster. He wanted to see the explosions and the blood and the gore and the guts. He was ready for it, and when it doesn't happen, he's furious. He's furious. And while some people keep their anger suppressed, Jonah just can't keep his mouth shut. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live." I just want to point out that this is Jonah praying. Jonah prayed, and these things came out of his mouth. Now, I don't know. I tend to try to sound slightly more pious when I'm talking to God. I know he doesn't really buy it, but still, it seems right to put your best foot forward. Like, don't we all do that? Especially when we're praying in a group, right? None of us pray with that kind of honesty during Bible study, right? That just doesn't happen. This doesn't even happen at Third Sunday, and we're pretty laid back at that. But Scripture calls this a prayer. I've sometimes heard Christians debate, you know, what constitutes a legitimate prayer? But I guess this must qualify. It's certainly honest. I don't know that it's a good prayer, but apparently it's a legitimate one. You can apparently take all kinds of things to God. Your requests your worries, your sorrows, even your temper tantrums, and he can handle it. But taking a look at the substance of Jonah's anger, he opens with an I told you so, right? Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? Again, that's a weird way to approach the throne of God. Jonah says... Lord, didn't I tell you this would happen? I called it. I knew this would happen. And this reveals some new information about chapter 1, actually, because we were originally told that Jonah just ran from God's presence. We just kind of jumped right to that. We weren't given any details about the conversation. But apparently Jonah has been clear from the very beginning about his motives in this thing. It's not that he thought this mission was a waste of time. He just hated Nineveh, and he had no interest in talking to them. He's saying, I knew if I went there and preached fire and brimstone, there was a chance, however small, that they would get wise and avoid the utter destruction that they so richly deserve. And he, gets, he goes so boldly as to say, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, because I, I knew this might work. i will take some real chutzpah to bring Tarshish up again at this point in the conversation. Like, seriously, Jonah hasn't been out of the sea monster that long. He can probably still smell it on his clothes. And here he is bringing it up again, basically saying, you know, given the chance, I would do the same thing all over again. And why? Why is Jonah angry? Because, and I quote, I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. This phrase echoes numerous passages throughout the Old Testament, but it it, it sounds like it should be a good thing. It's usually not said in this kind of tone, is it? Jonah is angry because God is good. And specifically, he is good to people Jonah doesn't like. Jonah isn't even primarily angry at Nineveh. He's angry at God for sending him there. Now, who here has ever been angry at God? We've got some honesty. Okay. I know I have. I suspect we've all had that experience, whether we raise hands or not. That's okay. We probably weren't as honest as Jonah was. We, We can get mad at God when we feel that he's been unfair somehow, And that is Jonah's issue here. Jonah doesn't like that God is too good to these people. In his opinion, God is too generous with the gospel. Jonah is lamenting that God is the way he is. God makes clear that he has a mission to reach Nineveh, but Jonah doesn't like that plan. Jonah is opposed to the mission statement, if you like. And he's so ticked off about it that he registers a death wish. What does he say here in verse 3? Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. I mean, now he's just being melodramatic. Except he's not really being melodramatic. You don't joke about death when you've been to Sheol and back like Jonah has, do you? Because you know what this means. I think he means it. Just like he probably wished God would have just let him drown on the high seas. I don't know that he welcomed the monster coming and swallowing him. Jonah doesn't want to live in a world where God acts like this. Death would be better than watching God let Nineveh live. He doesn't even want to argue about it anymore. He just wants to die. Jonah is in complete despair because God is merciful. It's an ugly, convoluted way to think. And again... Jonah really is the worst missionary, the worst prophet, and possibly one of the worst people who ever lived. He's awful. Last week at Third Sunday, we were talking about God's forgiveness and being honest about our sins. And we were talking about why we find it so hard to confess our sins to one another and why do we struggle to receive mercy and Why do we have a hard time believing that God will forgive us for things? And I I proposed that one of the biggest problems is that we don't really believe 1 John 1, 9. John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't always follow that logic or believe it. We maybe believe that he forgives us. We might believe in forgiveness, but we don't really believe that his forgiveness is faithful and just. We don't think of it as justice when he forgives us. We think of it as justice being suspended. And in reality, that's because we're not sure what to do with a God who wouldn't punish people for the evil they do. We cannot accept that God would let us get away with something. How can God forgive me when I've been this horrible? And in a sense, that's that's what Jonah is wrestling with. How can a holy God grant forgiveness to these horrible people? If he lets them get away with their evil, then he is not being faithful, and he is not being just. It comes down to a question of theodicy, which is the fancy word theologians use for justifying God. You're defending God from criticism. It's kind of a weird discipline. God never asked us to defend him in that way. He's pretty capable of doing that himself, but but that's Jonah's problem. That's what he's wrestling with. He can't justify what God is doing here. Jonah cannot accept that God would pardon Nineveh. It is not faithful, it is not just, and he can't face life in a world where God is not faithful and just. So he says, Lord, just kill me already. And it's not far removed from the Pharisees of Jesus' day who could not fathom God extending the covenant promises to the Gentiles. It's offensive. It feels wrong. And so Jonah is angry. And of course, there is a real tension here, and it's a tension that only the gospel can resolve. Because it's only because Jesus dying for our sins and enduring our punishment that God can pardon sinners. That's how it works. He's not only merciful, he is indeed faithful and just to forgive because our punishment has already been absorbed by Jesus. Jonah doesn't know those details. He doesn't know how this is going to work out. He doesn't have the foresight to know what God has up his sleeve. Uh, He was asked to obey without knowing how this is going to end up making sense in the end. Obedience is often like that. So Jonah... Technically obeyed, but his heart wasn't in it. And rather than being relieved that he finally did the right thing, he is overwhelmed with regret, and he just wants to die. And he's not going to go kill himself. He wants God to pull the trigger. If this is how it's going to be, then take me out. It's like he's holding himself hostage against the Ninevites. It's them or me. And all of this culminates in one of my favorite lines in Scripture. And the Lord said... Do you do well to be angry? I said earlier that I have a temper. I think it was worse when we lived in Philly. It's just the pressures of living there, maybe. But I still have a temper, and I don't often show it to you all. You're my church, right? Right. My wife and kids are aware of it, and, uh, I mean, heck, I spent most of yesterday afternoon in a bad mood, and they can attest to that, and I was kind of angry at everything and everybody, and not for any great reasons. I'm just under the gun writing and this and that. And, of course, sometimes my anger is justified, but even then, it it seldom fixes anything. It doesn't make me powerful like the Hulk, and what it tends to do is it tends to be a downward spiral for me, uh, and it leads eventually just to self-pity like Jonah. And Georgia used to say that I should write this verse in soap on the bathroom mirror because it's a, a great line and worth repeating to myself. Do I do well to be angry? How about you? Do you do well to be angry? How's that working out for you? When we are angry at our circumstances in life. And if we believe, as we do, we're good Calvinists, right? We believe in a sovereign God. Then we are, by default, essentially angry at God. And maybe it's best to be painfully honest with God about it, like Jonah is. Many of us struggle to do that. But in the end, do we do well to be angry? What are we even angry about? Do we even know? I don't know that we can plumb that That's half the time. We may be angry about all kinds of things, justified or not, but it's worth asking whether we're doing anger well. Because even justified anger, if you leave it to fester, becomes unhealthy. So are we doing well with our anger? I venture a guess that most of us are not. Some of us can't even understand our anger and don't even know what's causing it. Now, Jonah knows exactly why he's angry. He's done the introspection. He's looked inside and understood himself pretty well. He is specifically angry about God's mercy, that he is gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Jonah resents that. What bothers him most is God's compassion. Jonah is angry at God for being in charge of who gets saved. Now you remember, he confessed in the belly of the whale, and I said this is like the central point of the book, right? Salvation belongs to the Lord. But Jonah no longer likes that doctrine. If salvation belongs to the Lord, then he can give it away freely to whoever he wants, and Jonah doesn't like that. Because he only wants certain people saved, namely his people, Israel and himself. So I'll go ahead and answer the rhetorical question, Jonah does not do well to be angry. This is not righteous anger on display. Now, this is right about the time some of us maybe would want to breathe a sigh of relief, because after all, none of us are this bad, right? Here's the tricky thing. God doesn't include these details in Scripture, In vain. This story is in here because Jonah is not alone. It's in here because Jonah speaks for many of us. We frequently make the mistake of thinking that we are more compassionate than God is, that we know better. We question his justice when he seems to abandon us when things go wrong. We get angry when we think he's too harsh about things. And how often have you heard people ask, and this is true of unbelievers, but even people within the church, like, why would a good God let bad things happen to good people? Why would a good God allow suffering? And implied in that is that if I were God, I would eliminate suffering. Moreover, I would save everybody. If it were up to me, everyone would get saved and everyone would be happy. I think the book of Jonah is in here to show us that we're full of it. God is calling us out. You are not as compassionate as God. You don't understand even a fragment of what he is doing in this world, and you don't have his heart for the lost. And it shows in our daily activity and how little we regard it and how little we share the good news. We wouldn't save everybody, even if we had the power, because we don't really want to. If we're honest, we can all make a list of our own Ninevehs that we would never go to. Salvation belongs to the Lord, but we don't really like that. We want to share our faith, maybe, with the people who are ready for it, who are not a challenge. People we understand. The people we love. People who deserve it. On the other hand, some people are just a lost cause. Some cultures are beyond hope. We couldn't possibly reach them, the ones who live this kind of sinful life, who vote the wrong way, who live in the wrong places, people we just don't get, and we're not really honestly that eager to. But the message of Jonah is that salvation belongs to the Lord, and he is infinitely more merciful than you are. He will save who he will save, and he will do it with or without your help. Beloved, I, I think we're more like Jonah than we'd like to admit. And if you're having a hard time seeing the gospel in these verses, I just want to point one thing out about God's mercy because he does not strike Jonah down in this scene. On the contrary, He's actually extremely compassionate. Jonah has just said some of the worst words any prophet, any person, any any man of God ever has. And God responds with what? A simple question. And he invites Jonah to further reflection. Beloved God is patient with us. He doesn't kick us to the curb for saying horrible things or asking stupid questions. And contrary to popular belief, there is such a thing as stupid questions. But God does not disown his children for asking stupid questions or even for being angry. Well, I-, I suspect that we're no better than Jonah. I think very little of our anger is wholesome. I think many of us are ultimately angry at God, and we can't even be honest about it. We've been talking even in the last couple of congregational meetings about anger, right? And we don't know how to deal with it. That's been a question. But Jonah's more honest than we are. And the point is, if God is merciful to Jonah, then there's hope for us. We can take even unrighteous anger to God, and he can handle it. Because God extends the same mercy to Jonah that he extends to Nineveh. He could crush Jonah right now. He has no further obvious use for him, and Jonah's literally asking for it. But God relents. He does not do it. Which means there's gospel hope for Jonah too. Jonah is horrible, but God is just as gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and abundant in steadfast love for him as he was for Nineveh. Beloved, all that is to say that the gospel is not just for new converts, but for us too. We who deal with anger and resentment like everyone else, we need the grace of God every bit as much as Nineveh and as Jonah. The point is the gospel isn't just for the pagans out there, it's for us in here. We need the gospel every day, which is good because it's true every day. He is, in fact, faithful and just to forgive. And just as he's still not done with Jonah, I don't believe he's done with us either. So let's pray. Gracious God, um, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the brutal honesty of your word. We thank you for Jonah's honesty. Um, Lord, his thoughts are horrible, but it is so good that they are put to paper here for us to reflect on, because, Lord, we all struggle. Lord, we have anger issues, many of us, even those of us who don't show it. And we're not angry over the good things, Lord, much of the time. Where we are bitter and we kick against you a lot of the time. Lord, forgive us. Help us to be honest and to take these things to you. We thank you that you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Lord, that is your promise, that is your your gift to Nineveh, but Lord, it is your gift to us every day, Lord, and to Jonah. We thank you that you are the way you are, even though sometimes we don't understand it. Help us to embrace it, Lord. Help us to embrace the gospel daily for ourselves and make us eager to share it with others, Lord, that they may know that same compassion. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Please stand and join me in singing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.